Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hoaxbusters call. Join the discussion by dialing 724-447-444. Call ID 90337. Hey, what's going on there, everybody? Yep, it's Monday night. Yeah, and it's April 20th, and it's uh, still 2015. And they're doing the Hulkbuster call right now. Let's see here. We got uh, Cole Hobobo in the chat, Dilqua, White Snow, Jen Art. Happy Horseshit, Jimmy Boy, Mapchick, Nature Never Lies, and Reppin850. Alright, thanks for coming out, y'all. And, um, yeah, I'm kind of a little bit, uh, uh, well, flummoxed is not exactly flummoxed, I guess, but I'm kind of, uh, um, I just got, uh, I just got done doing an interview. And I was just trying to upload the call, and I was trying to I had a lot of stuff going on, so I'm kind of, kind of trying to now ease into Hoaxbusters call. Ease everybody in, ease everybody in, relax everybody, take deep, uh, cleansing breath, cleanse your breath, cleanse your thoughts, clear your mind out. Ah, breathe deep, feel the oxygen come into your lungs and rejuvenize your cells, oxygenate them, get some oxygen into your brain, that's what I need to do right now, uh, yeah, that's good, that's good, just need to kind of level out here. Yeah, it was a pretty good interview. It turned out uh, being a little bit uh, adversarial at the end. And it's at TalkShoe page right now. I'm going to upload it, post it on hoaxbusterscall.com. And, uh, yeah, I'll go into that in a minute here, but, uh, Here's a quote. If you suffer your people to be ill-educated and their manners to be corrupted from their infancy and then punish them for those crimes to which their first education disposed them, what else is to be concluded from this but that you first made thieves and then punish them? And that's attributed to Thomas More in his book Utopia. Yeah, what about that? So we got um, an educational... See, I can't even say that. I'm not that 
articulate thanks to my public school upbringing but anyway yeah you get uh, taught about the world mainly through the institution of schooling public schooling and you're brought up learning how to recognize people who are kind of positioned in certain roles in society and you're taught very early age to recognize these people and it doesn't matter who they are I mean they're strangers to you right so you go and you meet your kindergarten teacher and it's a new person that's never been in your life before well, who is this lady she seems nice well this is your teacher oh hi teacher what are we gonna do well we're going to learn and so the first thing you learn is I'm the teacher that's what the teacher is gonna tell you and uh, you need to listen to me because this is how you learn so that's usually the first authority figure that we're confronted with in our lives and uh, it's a pretty interesting how you know everybody defers to this set of circumstances where yeah I'm going to take my child that I brought into this world and I'm going to wait till they achieve a certain age usually around five years old and I am going to turn them over to a total stranger who I've never met before in my life and they are going to be in charge of the instruction and rearing of my child for the better part of their waking days for the next 18 years or until they graduate that's how we do it um, and it's accepted and that's the way it's been done and that's the way it continues to be done and nobody questions it and uh, you learn to give deference towards this sort of abstract concept called authority and what I've kind of learned recently within the last I don't know what couple of years I don't know I, I, I've come to this conclusion through kind of a lot of thought and a lot of careful mulling over of uh, certain I think are pretty profound questions about uh, so-called authority and I've listened to people that are in so-called authority I'm talking about judges cops attorneys district attorneys city attorneys uh, authority figures of all shapes and forms tax collectors people and uh, I talk about this guy a lot because I really like his approach to logic in dealing with authority and I'm talking about uh, Mark Stevens M-A-R-C Stevens S-T-E-V-E-N-S and uh, yeah why, why, why I'm directing people to check it check out his uh, 
Oh, his calls and the stuff that he's his materials and stuff that he puts out there is because um, because of one question that he asks, and he and he speaks this to the authorities, and it leaves them speechless. And if they're not speechless, they come back at him with platitudes with circular reasoning with uh, non sequiturs with uh, illogic and the question is uh, yeah we're, we're okay so you know here we are in court um, and you know I'm being brought up on uh, I don't know, charges of jaywalking, whatever, whatever you did that you ran afoul of the, uh, quote, law, unquote. What is your basis? Well, you broke the law, Mr. Kendall. Okay, I understand that to you. You have this set of rules in a book that you call law. And that according to your book and according to your philosophy and your belief system, I violated one of your laws and that's why I'm here. And that is, you can't dispute that. I mean, that's just a fact. If you're walking on the wrong side of the street, if you're walking down the street and somebody is walking along, I've heard this is against the law too. If you walk down the street, a regular thoroughfare, and you're walking two abreast, you're watching one person is walking next to you, have a conversation, walk down the road. That is illegal. You have to be in a single file formation. And yes, you can be ticketed. Yes, you can be issued a summons and a citation for doing that. And hundreds 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 and thousands of other laws and such codes are out there. Go to a law library, take a look around. You'll see lots and lots and lots of books. And it will be a big room full of books. And all of those are laws. And the people who run the show believe that all of those apply to me and apply to you and apply to everybody else under their so-called jurisdiction. And what is a jurisdiction? Well, it's an imaginary boundary line that uh, is put on maps, is put into books. Uh, they define counties, they define cities, they define states, nations. And um, if you're within those jurisdictions, they have the right to rule you, tell you what to do, will tell you what you can't do, how to conduct yourself, how to you know, not walk side by side down the street, how to not uh, drive around without a seatbelt on, how to um, not let your grass get over a certain height, how to, um, yeah, just how to conduct your own business. They have the right to interject their laws upon you, or so they say. But uh, a really good question and I haven't heard any kind of definitive answer to it or even any like sensible answer to it or even anything that's approaching uh, logic or reason or 
sound thinking is uh, well here's the question that gets asked in court I've never done it I've just kind of recently kind of become aware of this but um, yeah this guy Mark Stevens does he he asks them um, so you know you say you have this jurisdiction you say that your laws and rules apply to me just because I'm in you know what whatever geographical area whatever city that these laws apply to me that's your position that's the position that you're standing on and that's the position that you're operating off of to do what you're doing to me right now like you've uh, you've um, demanded that I come to your court and it's uh, not hardly a veiled threat you will use the uh, force against me if I don't um, by way of uh, police officers, enforcement officers, law enforcement officers, as they call themselves. And, uh, yeah, so you, you must appear in court. And it's all based on the premise that they have authority. So the burden of proof is not on you to prove that they don't have authority, right? Because I think that's, that's, a, that's a point of clarification that needs to be made. Like the person that's being subjected to the authority, the burden of proof is not on me, it's not on you, it's not anybody else to prove or disprove authority. It is on the people who have the belief that they do have authority. Okay, just because I'm in Lawton, Oklahoma, just because I'm in the state of Oklahoma, just because I'm in uh, the United States of America, what facts do you have, what evidence do you have that all of these laws, codes, bylaws, statutes, you name it, what what are the facts that can be presented in a court of law or anywhere else that prove that they apply to me or they apply to you? What 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 facts can be presented to establish jurisdiction and set it in stone so that it's 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 uh, proven? What are the facts? Well, usually the answer you're going to get is the law applies because the law says it applies. Well, a little problem with that is that that is tantamount to what is called circular logic. So you refer to the thing in question to prove the thing that is in question. It's also called begging the question. It's like... It's fallacious reasoning. The, no, the code uh, doesn't apply because the code applies. Um, somebody in the chat is saying to talk about fakery. Well, this is fakery. This is what I'm talking about is fakery. You believe in authority. You believe in government and that they have authority. Have you ever thought about what it's based on? What proof can they give you? What proof can they give you that their laws apply? What proof can they give you that they have jurisdiction over you, that they have a right to rule over you? Uh, so, yeah, I had this conversation with uh, this guy named Roger Wertheimer. He's a... Uh, He's like a philosophical scholar, professor. I think uh, he's got a, like a Harvard degree and this, that, and the other thing. 
And um, he wrote a paper in the 70s titled, Are the Police Necessary? And I thought it was a really good paper. It kind of went into some stuff that never gets brought out, out about when you're discussing uh, police and police power and all that. It's like, um, you know, pointing out things like, well, you know, since since people are dependent on the police to take care of all kinds of their de- uh, various problems like family disputes and neighbor disputes and on and on. It's like, uh, so it, it's, uh, it serves to really destabilize communities in a way because the um, the dependency upon this authority keeps you from developing as a person or or it keeps your community developing into a cohesive community it's like a, it's like this um, artificial parent that comes in and resolves your issues for you. But, I, you know, I thought that was a good point. But then I went into how, uh, well, I, it, it became apparent that he was a bit of a sort of a statist and an apologist for the police and, the, and, the, and all that and how everything operates. And uh, so it, it kind of prompted me to ask them the question about, Okay, where does uh, where do they all, where do these people that we're talking about where do they get their authority from? And uh, what what are the facts and evidence they can present to you in a court that uh, will prove that? And uh, he he didn't like the question and he got upset. Now I could tell like people. Maybe there's a couple of people in the chat, stuff like that. They don't like they don't like this kind of talk. And I think what it, I think the reason why it's like people don't like having uh, a cherished belief. They don't like to have a, a cherished belief challenged, especially if they've never even kind of put any deep thought into why they hold a certain belief. And um, so we live in a society where belief in government and government authority is sort of a given sort of a it's, it's an accepted um truth that they do have authority over you and it does have a basis and it is legitimate and it is right and they and they're there to administer justice and to keep law and order in society and we need to just do what they say and then, like, uh, when I was talking to, to Roger there, I just pointed out different things about uh, how that the, the agents of the government themselves don't follow their own laws, their own procedures, their own codes, their own statutes. They exempt themselves from these things regularly. I, I don't think that uh, the examples that I pointed out to him were uh, were in any way, shape, or form um, not the norm. I, I believe that the way they conducted themselves in their disregard for their own codes and their own laws, and you can go online and look at people's interactions they filmed with uh, bureaucrats and police and people. It's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's the same across the board. 
there was an example where a guy was getting his uh, uh, tags pulled off his car. His car was parked out in the front of his house, and he's asking the uh, the police there, this this female police officer, uh, yeah, I, I have my license, I have my insurance, I have everything up to, to speed here. Like, why are you doing this? And she's saying, well, it's such and such code. And then she proceeds to read him the code, but then in the, in the code it, it clearly states not once but twice that um, the operator of the vehicle, if it's found that they don't have insurance or license and all that, uh, then uh, the officer can confiscate the tag on site. Uh, never mind that the car was parked, never mind that the car wasn't in motion, and I, I suppose either that she has no reading comprehension skills or she either just had no regard for what the, her law actually said. And I think it's the latter. I, I think they understand what operating a motor vehicle is, certainly. Um, yeah. But that's, that's what you're dealing with. And you'll have a lot of people tell you, well, you know, Chris, you just need to respect authority and you just need to do what they tell you. And don't give them any static. And if they do assault you or whatever, then you've gotten what you deserve because we need to maintain law and order. Law and order is important to me. So, like, if you get your ass kicked, it's your own fault because law and, law and order is important. Law and order. But then you could point out where, okay, there is no law that gives the police the authority to do what they're doing. But that's okay. You don't get uh, uptight about that. It's only that uh, the citizen deserves whatever punishment is doled out. So really, you don't believe in law. You don't believe in law. If, if it doesn't upset you that the police aren't following the law, then you don't believe in law. You believe in authority authority you do not believe in law if you don't believe that the authority should follow the law then you don't believe in law because if it if it's a law and it's there for a reason then everybody should be beholden to it and everybody should be following it but people who don't get upset about the police breaking the law do not give a rat's ass about the so-called law they do not care about what the law says they do not care about order because when you're acting as a police officer and you're acting out the, outside the dictates and the boundaries of the law, you are no longer enforcing the law. You are enforcing authority without law. And the authority is completely baseless, even on the phony premise that it was initially positioned upon to begin with. That's the thing. But um, I think we're seeing some developments taking place in the United States, in the country. I think it's just a you know Fabian-style incremental stepping towards this kind of attitude that's being inculcated into society where they are in total acceptance of this idea of... And this was... This was uh, sort of done in official form in a like a cartoon series or whatever marvel comic books uh they had the character judge dread oh man uh they, they had a uh, sylvester stallone play judge dread 
I am the law. I am the law. And then he would just, you know, point his high-caliber high pistol into your face and just blow you away. You drug, you druggy scum. I'm the law. I take care of things. And then, you know, the crowd cheers. Yay, Judge Dredd. He's great. He's a good, he's a good guy. He's fighting crime. Um, that's what people want. They've been conditioned to want that. And uh, makes, them, makes them feel safe. Yeah, Judge, Judge Dredd makes me feel safe. Go, Judge Dredd. Fight crime. I feel safe with Judge Dredd around. Um, but okay, so is that uh, feeling of security, is that founded upon anything? Well, if you look at crime and how it goes down, uh, the police show up after the crime is committed the majority of the time. Uh, if you're getting your house broken into by some dangerous thug, chances are they're going to do what they're going to do and they're going to be gone before the cop ever has a chance to get there. That's just a fact. And uh, statistics and stuff bear that out. So, um, yeah, on that basis, you have the perception of security without any actual real tangible security. Uh, you get your house robbed. You call the police. The police show up. Officer, I, I just got robbed. Okay. Uh, here's a, a, a form and paperwork to sign, and I need to fill out some paperwork. And you hand this to your insurance company. Well, I don't have insurance. Uh, well, sorry. Have a good day. Thank you. Uh, yeah, 40% of, only 40% of all, and I, I don't know if this statistic is right. It's, it may be lower, maybe, I, whatever, of property that's stolen is recovered. But 80% of the 40% is people having their car stolen, taken for joy rides, and then ditched, and then the property gets recovered. Uh, so the overwhelming majority of home robberies and all that stuff, you do, you never get your stuff back. The police won't help you. Um, like the, the, the police do certain things that are good. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. You could point out different examples of where they have done good things and they've helped people and they assist at, uh, accident scenes and stuff like that. No doubt about it. Uh, you can also find a whole bunch of examples where ordinary citizens that are not on any kind of a payroll step out of the way and they put their own life in danger to help somebody else. And that's that's a fact. That's, that's just a part of being a human being. People help each other out. Uh, so there's that. But... Um, yeah, what um, what uh, is the authority, what is government authority based on? Like, does anybody in the chat have any ideas? Like, if you were to be asked, okay, what are the facts, what are the, what are the, what are the, where's the empirical evidence, what are the facts that, um, this authority rests. What do you think it is? No, no takers. 
no. Nobody wants to. Nobody wants to take a stab at it. Take a guess at it. Constitution. I'll repeat the question. Uh, what is the government? Uh, what does the government authority come from? In other words, if you were to ask for evidence of jurisdiction in a court of law, and you want facts to for them to provide for you to prop up the jurisdiction, some evidence. What do you think that would look like? What would it be? What's the evidence? What's the evidence that gives them their authority? Oh, it's supposed to be from we the people. Yeah, I've heard that. We the people, in order to form a more perfect union, do declare this blah, blah, blah. And uh, from what I understand, the people that drafted that up and that were responsible for doing that were like a select few wealthy landowners that lived 200 years ago and that wore powdered wigs. And they wrote up a document and then that became law of the land. It sounds like sort of a lot like uh, Joseph Smith found the tablets under a rock in the desert on his spiritual journey, and it was from the angel Moroni, and and that what established the doctrines of the Mormon Church. I mean, it's the same similar thing. In other words, it's 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 a religion. Got a lot, a lot, a lot in common with a religion, and I think that's important to understand. It's like when you believe in the state and the power of the state. That is your religion. That is a religious belief. Not not uh, across the board identical to uh, Mormonism, but um, very much similar in its proof texts. It's mythology, it's stories, it's history, how it came about, and why you need to follow the Book of Mormon, because it's the only way to go to heaven. Uh, why do we need to follow the Constitution? It's the only way to have a sensible society. It's the only way to have law and order. Okay. You could believe that if you want. You know, don't don't let me dissuade you from your faith if you're a Mormon or whatever, you know. But, um, yeah, Mormonism doesn't apply to me. Well, why not, Chris? What problem do you have with spiritual goodness and Mormonism and all the white robes and the fancy underwear and the embroidered uh, trousers they wear and all of the good stuff that Mormons do for people and uh, don't you believe they do good? Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I guess they do some good. I, I think they have like soup kitchens and stuff, like any religion. And they have outreach programs and help. Um, that doesn't mean that jo jo Joseph Smith got 
gold tablets from an angel from heaven, does it? You don't want to take it that far, though, do you? Yeah, yeah, they do. They do good deeds, but that does that legitimize the whole premise it's based on? Uh, well, Constitution, it's got a lot of good stuff in it. Sure does. It's got a lot of good flowery words and speech, and 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 you could put it in your speeches. Talk about it. Yeah. Same thing with the Book of Mormon. Same thing with uh, the Bhagavad Buddhist text. Same thing with any kind of philosophical writings. Same thing. But what, you know, why, okay, how come the Book of Mormon doesn't apply to everybody? Well, because you didn't sign up for it. You didn't become a Mormon. You got to voluntarily. Oh, so you have to make a decision to become a Mormon? Is that how it works? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They can't just make you a Mormon. Oh uh, no, no, no. Oh, uh, why not? Why not? Um, because it's not allowed. Okay, well. I've already explained to you that there's good stuff that Mormons do and they have a real cohesive community and they have like a order in their society amongst their members. Like when they come together in their church meetings, they don't kill and hack each other pieces and, and, and cannibalize each other, stuff like that. So it's, it's pretty good. I mean, following Mormonism keeps you in line pretty good. But you don't want to be a Mormon. Why not? Um, same. Well, it's just let's just go over to the Constitution. Like what? What? Okay, the Constitution. Yeah, it sounds good. And yeah, it's this, that, and the other thing. And it, it's it's got it's got all the all the. Um, you know, guidelines and stuff, how the government's going to be set up and all that. But um, what uh, what makes it binding on me? What makes it binding on you? W what does that? As opposed to any other thing that's written down on a piece of paper somewhere in some vault or somewhere in some library or somewhere in... Uh, your own book collection why why does none of that apply because those people that wrote that stuff wasn't smart enough because they weren't smarter than the founding fathers because uh what is it the founding fathers were just so incredibly brilliant and to the point where they could write something down on paper and then Generations that come after them have to be under the law that they wrote. Well, you see, everybody back 200 years ago, collectively in the United States, all got together and consented to it. And everybody agreed. 
I don't know. I wasn't there. Is that what you say? I don't know because I've never seen everybody agree on anything ever. But uh, so I guess that's another article of faith that you have to accept. Yeah, everybody that was there at the time uh, signed off on it. Where are their signatures? There's only a set amount of signatures on the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, and and I don't think any of my relatives or anything signed me up for it before I was born or anybody else. So where what where are the signatures at? Who signed it? Well, as it turns out, from what I can gather from history, I don't know, I wasn't there, but they had a closed-door session. The Constitutional Congress was uh, in a room in a building with no windows. Uh, nobody could even look in and see what was going on. It was closed to the public. The only men that were able to converse about it or debate about it or whatever were wealthy landowners, slaveholders. Uh, they did not allow anybody else to look at it or get involved in the proceedings at all. The common man wasn't invited. The common farmer or the uh, field worker or the lumberjack or whoever lived in that day, they didn't get to participate. They didn't get to participate in the drafting of the Constitution, the very laws that were they were going to be living under, and then their children, their children's children, and their children's children's children were going to be living under. They didn't get to participate. Sorry. Uh, so how, again, is it binding? Now, I wasn't there when the Mormon Church was founded. I wasn't there when Joseph Smith found the tablets. He says he did. That's what they say. And a lot of people in this country, especially if you're in Utah, they hold that to be self-evident. It's just a fact. He got the tablets from the angel Moroni, and they bind upon us. And we're Mormons. We're good Mormons. And a good Mormon never, never doubts the gold tablets. Never. Not a good Mormon. And uh, what is there, the South Park brothers, those dudes, they they like to poke fun at religion, and uh, they did a musical about Mormonism, and uh, and it turns out it was really, really popular. It's, it's popular to poke fun at religion, especially among so-called skeptics and atheists and people like that. They, they, they love to just poke and prod religion, how terrible it is, how ignorant people are that believe in religion, how stupid you are, how backward you are. You need to get with the program and and get into skepticism and uh, scientism and all the good isms, the good isms that are based on logic and reason. But you ask, uh, like Sam Harris or Richard Dawkins or uh, Lawrence... Uh, whatever his name is, Krauss. Uh, yeah, you believe in government authority? Well, uh, absolutely, it's government authorities. Absolutely, I believe in the, in the state and the power of the state and the power to tax and the power to be ruled by uh, men in blue. Richard Dawkins' impression there. He believes in it. Sam Harris believes in it. Power of the state. Do they ask for evidence? 
Mm, not to my knowledge. Not to my knowledge. They accept it. They accept it just like they accept gravity or anything else. It's just a given. Oh, yeah, that has authority. Oh, yeah, it's legitimate. Well, Chris, what about all the buildings, government buildings and courts and stuff? Uh, what about all the uh, cathedrals and churches? And uh, Is that proof that, that any particular religion that has a bunch of buildings and owns a bunch of property like the Mormons? They own Utah. Not only they own Utah, but they own huge structures all over the country and city blocks, and they own a lot of property. So does Scientology. They own a lot of property. They own, like, what was that uh, city in Florida? That's a pretty good, interesting documentary, by the way. It's called Glowing, Go, uh, Going Clear, and I watched that a couple of days ago about Scientology. And uh, that's, a, that's a cult. It's a belief system. And people, you know, look at Scientology and, ah, that's crazy. Wow, you mean they did this and that and the other thing? And they went and worked in these camps and they only made like 40 cents a day and they put up with that? Just because uh, L. Ron Hubbard said it was cool? Yeah, why not? It, what about every well I mean what about the Constitution everybody believes in it nobody doubts it it's the law of the land and we got to pay our we got to pay our tithe to the state because that's what we do and, and if they don't they could come and get it and we're cool with that and we got to go to court because that's just what we do we got to stand before the judge because that's just what we do. And the judge has authority just because, he says. And we're cool with that. And, uh, yeah, you're, you belong to a religious cult called statism. And you didn't even know it. You accept it all on faith. Because there's nothing else that it's based on. And, uh, yeah, uh, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe can, somebody can come along and offer me the proof. And somebody say, uh, yeah, well, the Bible says, Romans 13, authority is by God. And it's like, um, yeah, it does say that. Ask the authority, though. Are they going to quote Romans 13? Nope. They don't quote Romans. They're not going to give you Romans 13 as proof. They, they reject the Bible. They don't They don't recognize the Bible as having any authority. So, um, yeah. There you go. But, um... Yeah, why is it, though, when you bring that up, you bring that question up, um, like Roger Wertheimer, he got upset. He didn't like that question at all. And it's like, what? It's just a question. That's all it is. It's like, it's not, 
It, it, what's wrong with the question? I mean, uh, doesn't it, does it, do you, you know, if you don't know the answer, you could say, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Because then you have to, if you want to kind of have your wits about you and your cognitive reasoning abilities, you might have to deal with that fact. Oh, well, there's no real basis in any of it. It's just arbitrary and it's uh it's faith based but um and everybody accepts it well you got you, you got your conditioning in school that you didn't know you're getting indoctrinated into a, a, a religious belief and that's where it starts and that's the church that you went to and they call it a school, and you got indoctrinated, and you got indoctrinated on how to be uh, obedient to authority, how to be obedient to strangers. And then we have the conditions today where we live where uh, the people who are in authority don't follow their own laws, don't follow their own rules, don't even care about their own laws or rules, and they don't apply them to themselves, not in, any, not in the same way they apply it to you. Not by a long stretch. Uh, so, yeah, there's that too. So even if you wanted to conclude that the law was legitimate, are the enforcers of the law and the governing authorities legitimate when they themselves put themselves outside of the only, the the very thing that supposedly and allegedly gives them their authority that's not legitimate is it by any reasonable standard I, I don't think so I don't think so at all well yeah it's uh it's a given it just is what it is, right? And they don't need any facts. They don't need any proof. If you don't believe them that they have authority, just wait till they throw you in the slammer. Then you'll understand where authority comes from. It's like, yeah, I, I knew it all along. It comes from the barrel of a gun, just like uh, Chairman Mao said. All political power comes from the barrel of a gun. Very, very simple. And I got accused of being uh, overly simplistic with, uh, by Roger there. And it's like, well, yeah, some things are that simple. The complication comes with the rules, laws, codes, interpretation of the laws, the Supreme Court decisions, and there's just endless, endless, endless mountains of paper that's been generated just a uh, circuit court decision, Supreme Court decisions alone. Big giant mountains of paper. And y if you're telling me that any one person can understand what the law actually says and that knows all the Supreme Court decisions and that knows all that, it's like, man, the, you, you, there's, that's like a unicorn. It's like that doesn't exist. Show me one. Nobody knows it. Nobody knows the law. Nobody knows the law. Nobody knows it. They can't explain it to you. Don't don't even try to ask anybody to explain to you the law. They don't know. 
it's arbitrary. It's it's selectively enforced. It has no basis on anything, so why should it make any sense? And ask yourself this. If you go to court, you're going to stand before a judge. The judge is a former attorney in most cases. There's no exceptions that I know of. The judge is going to be a former attorney. Um... The former attorney is conversant in law, legalese and legal speak. You're not. But the judge is. He should be. And so you go present your case to the judge. But before you do that, you have to go get an interpreter, a go-between, called an attorney, that takes, and you tell him, and he translates it into what legal speak and then goes before the judge okay wait a minute I thought the judge understood what the laws were I thought he knew legal speak what's this go between third party why are they necessary well that's your legal defense Chris it's like well isn't it redundant doesn't the judge know isn't he gonna be the final arbiter of what happens right well, yeah. So, what is this damn attorney? I gotta, I gotta feed money to. What, what is he gonna do for me? Well, he's gonna say nice things about you to the judge, so the judge will rule in your favor. What? Well, so that's what needs to happen. So the judge can't just look at the facts in the case and look at whether or not I did anything wrong and make a decision based on his understanding of the law. But I need to have an interpreter to interpret all that for me. And and isn't that a little bit uh, cumbersome and a little bit uh, inefficient and a little bit... Of course it is. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. It makes no sense at all. So you get... Uh, you got to go hire an interpreter to interpret the law for you so that he can tell it to somebody that's already conversant in the law and also the English English language. So it, there's no way that you can just communicate to the judge in English and he can interpret into legal speak in his own mind. It's like, uh, well, it, does that make any sense? I, I don't think that makes any sense whatsoever. Now, if you're setting up a situation where you can have this uh, sort of construct that's set up that looks like it has legitimacy and that uh, kind of bamboozles you and extorts you from your money and uh, it's all put on and it's staged and a hoax, and it's nothing really, it's not really based on anything that's actual for real and uh, that is a set standard of anything, then, yeah, that makes sense. Then you want an interpreter. You want to get as many people uh, on the payroll of this scam that you can, right? That's the way I see it. Well, it looks like a few people want me to change the subject, so I invite you to call in 
Uh, let me play this here. Hoaxbusters call. Join the discussion by dialing 724-7444. Call ID 90337. Okay, looks like nobody's calling in. So I'm going to take about a two-minute break and go to the toilet here. And I'll just play a little bit of hold music for a minute or two. And we'll be right back. Thank you. 
Okay, I'm back here. Yeah, to take a bathroom break. Oh, wow. That feels a lot better. Pressure, pressure building. Something's got to be done. What are we going to do uh, about the problem? Well, put it down the sewer and flush it. How about that? Um, yeah. Yep, we're the robots. So what's the topic of discussion now? Flat Earth? Bop, 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 bop. We are the robots. Is the Earth flat, y'all? I think Paul is on the call, y'all. Looks like I'll bring him on. See what he wants to talk about. Ba, 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 da, ba. Hey, how you doing? Hey, what's going on, man? No, uh, just uh, hanging out here in uh, upstate New York. Uh, so uh, I heard. Uh, uh, I, I guess it's a, a call with the uh, Marcus Allen that you did. Uh, uh, is that why? Is that is that Marcus Allen the one the one that you did the, the on the highway? You do it on the highway. Uh, no, it I do the afternoon commute with John Adams. Yeah, yeah. John Adams. That's what I meant to say. Marcus Allen is the truth in truth in seven minutes, guys. Is that right? Right, right. Oh yeah, no. Oh, sorry, sorry. I was getting those two confused. Um, but uh. uh yeah, I know that was kind of interesting. You know, we were talking about talking about uh, uh, Schoenberg, and it was it was pretty uh, funny to hear Schoenberg played on uh, Hoaxbusters. That was uh, that was uh, pretty funny. Uh, and and the only thing the thing that that made me think of the most was that uh, you know I think with a lot of this stuff. If, if Schoenberg is legitimately experimenting with music, then that's one thing. But I think the issue is, is this part of some systematic campaign, uh, either a propaganda campaign or, 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 in this case, a campaign to, you know, destroy culture? And that's a, that, then I might still appreciate Schoenberg or the Beatles. I mean, this is, you know, coming up with the Beatles, right? There's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, um, Joe Atwell, who was on your show. Um, he was, uh, uh, I heard him on a podcast. What was that? On Red Ice. He was on Red Ice the other day. Talking about, you know, like, he, he just did not think you should listen to the Beatles at all because he just thought that they were just not, you know, it was just coming through from a, a bad um, motivation from top to bottom. Uh, and so, but even then, even if you knew that, you might still be able to appreciate the boom, but you'd want to know, so it's okay, well, these people are actually trying to, you know, manipulate my consciousness in a way that might not be beneficial to me. 
And so you want to know that before you, you know, really, you know, start appreciating it. And, I, and it's the same thing with, uh, uh, like, uh, Schoenberg. And I, I don't know. I can't answer that question with either the Beatles or Schoenberg for sure. If, you know, like, is this part of some orchestrated, you know, mind control campaign? Yeah, in a way, I think it is. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, yeah, you, you know, you want to f- manipulate culture. And then inject certain ideas into the to the culture that uh, disrupt people's sense of you know what is you know what is uh, a beautiful piece of music or a, a painting or yeah that that was done systematically and I and I think that was to um, serve as sort of a uh, uh, an underpinning for a lot of. Um, discarding of societal norms like relationships and uh, family relationships and all that too I think that those sort of things go hand in hand where um, you know they're doing that with the art and they're trying to undermine um, people's sensibilities of what is what constitutes art and what is you know acceptable as art and then at the same time uh, undermining what constitutes, uh, you know, a, a relationship or how people um, relate to interpersonal relationships with one another, and how that that those that sort of thing is largely reserved to um, television shows and movies and novels and and that sort of thing, where you get the introduction of more and more. Um, uh, sexual behavior and that type of thing that is uh, being try being pushed into the culture to gain acceptance, and I and I think those things sort of work together somehow. I don't know exactly how, but I think that's that's part of it. It's it's to it's it's really what it what it is too. I think at it, at its uh, at its base level is just to disrupt anybody's idea of normalcy it's like to to disassemble disassemble that to destroy that the the anything that can be held up as a standard of of aesthetics or held up as as a standard of of uh conduct or normalcy those things are being eroded through art and culture and in all all its forms that, that's that's what i think that's the reason why that's being done well if that's true i mean i i, I you know don't uh I, I, like like you said it's hard to you know understand exactly how that works and um and and who exactly would be behind it but if that's true i mean it does make a certain amount of sense if you start with uh, you know, like the, you know, Schoenberg and, you know, just the modern art movement that began, uh, you know, around 1910, uh, uh, that, you know, like if you, you know, posited that, okay, there is some, you know, like a group behind this with uh, specific political motives, then I, I think you can pretty much pen, you know, something like, you know, 1910, uh, as a, as a starting date for that because you don't see anything like that, um, you know, like in, in the in the nineteenth century, uh, for instance. I mean, I guess you know maybe uh, 
uh, at the, but, but yeah, you don't, you don't really, you don't really see anything like that. So, but then maybe, I don't know, now I'm thinking that maybe you could make some arguments for, for this or that in, in history. Uh, so, uh, and maybe, you know, if you look back, uh, that, you know, art and music have, have always been used for, for, you know, those kinds of purposes. Um, so yeah, so that that was that was kind of interesting, and then you're also you know like uh, 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 John also pointed out how uh, you know there's the in UCLA there's the Schoenberg Library, right? And so that you know that kind of suggests it's oh he's like you know in with the big boys there. Right? It's not you know he isn't just some you know uh, wastrel bohemian. Uh, you know, like, like seeing how far he can go with the, you know, limits of sound, but, you know, like he's in with the political elites. If he's got the, you know, Schoenberg, I think it's the Schoenberg Library named after him. And, and all this, but, you know, with somebody, you know, like who has a basically zero popular appeal. I mean, zero. Uh, uh, and, you know, so, but yet, you know, like he's supposed to be this, you know, uh, um, you know, respected uh, composer. And I, you know, I know there was a period in my youth that and I went out and bought a couple of Schoenberg records, and it's like, okay, well, I don't really understand this, but I'm going to sit here and, you know, train myself to like it. I did not succeed. Uh, so, yeah, there, I mean, that might be, you know, I, I, something for somebody to look into. I, I don't know how... How, how deeply I'd want to go with that, but you know, I think it's a, a fruitful um, path of inquiry. No, it, it is. I mean, that's well. It just shows you that the uh, culture comes from the top down. It gets dictated from the top down. Yeah, and then you get uh, these standard bearers that are put out there for people to uh, to follow. And um, they interject certain ideas into the music and, and uh, culture in general. But yeah, it yeah it's done on purpose. And I, and I think that's that's what I was talking about earlier. That's the reason. Um, whether they do it wittingly, knowingly, like someone like Schoenberg, I don't know. But, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I understand there's experimental stuff in music, and um, not all of it is bad, you know? Right. And, yeah, it's kind of a, I think it's kind of a good thing to kind of explore different ideas and kind of maybe go off the wall, go off the rails a bit, and maybe end up with something that's not, uh, has wide appeal. But, uh, yeah, it, it, um, I think there's a lot of stuff that bears out the idea that uh, there is this systematic kind of undermining of normalcy that is going on there too. Yeah, I, I and, and you know, like the other thing is that you know, like if you say, okay, well, all that started around 1910, you know, like somewhere between 1910 and 1920. That's right at the you know height of the. Uh, I, I think I have this right. The, uh, the Bolshevik re Revolution, and, uh, um, you know, like those, the, and I, I would imagine that, uh, you know, Schoenberg came out of those uh, European politics, and, 
you know, the beginnings of uh, uh, abstract art uh, were, were, uh, were right there in Russia, right about that time. So, yeah, Dada, and, Dadaism and, and that type of stuff, too, was going on then. Right. And so, and people, like, like they say that Dada was a reaction to, um, you know, like the way that it's presented historically is that Dada is a reaction to, um, to the, uh, 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 you know, the, the, the absurdities that were in, the, of World War One, right? The absurdities of reason, you know, and, and, you know, like that's like kind of the, you know, like accepted, uh, explanation, but then, you know, it, you, uh, I, that is that right? And, you know, like it might just be that that was all part and parcel of, you know, the pe- same people who bought, bought you World War One, brought you Dada, as, like, you know, kind of what you're saying is like, okay, now we're going to, like, just, you know, destroy any semblance of, uh, you know, like uh, a normalcy. Yeah, have you ever seen that? Uh, it's like a series of documentaries called Sin Cities. And they go no. into the uh, yeah they there's one where they 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 do a they did a a piece on um, uh, Berlin and then one they did in Shanghai and, and I, th- I think it centers around like the 1920s era like right around that same general era and uh, there was a lot of loosening of morals and they had the speakeasies they had the uh, um, you know, flapper girls and strip teases and a lot of, uh, uh, pornography, a lot of, um, uh, prostitution and that sort of thing. And that was, uh, all coming out of your major population centers and stuff and, and, uh, injected into the culture. And, um, yeah, they said it was really over the top, really, really wild, really just, abandoning any social norms from that time and um yeah i mean would rival a lot of stuff that you see today you know orgies and just all kinds of uh you know debauchery and all that is was being pushed out into culture and so what and what so okay so you're saying that 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 was all going to Okay, break apart the family, destroy any sense of social normalcy, and then and that's ultimately done in uh, to to centralize power. Is that is that is that what you're saying? I mean, ultimately, why would somebody want to inject that uh, the, that into the culture? Well, I I've heard like uh, Alan Watt talks about it. He's talking, you know, he's. He kind of t- turned me on to that uh, series of documentaries and all that. It, it, he 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 puts out there that um, you know there there was you know going to be this push to, to to undermine societal norms and to, and uh, and to push promiscuity and um, to you know destabilize the culture and society uh, back in the you know twenties. And um, what ended up happening is that. Uh, the fallout was a lot of un- unwanted um, births, and there wasn't the uh, mechanisms in place like abortion mills and the pill and all of that to 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 keep that in check. And so they started then to put stuff into the culture to kind of uh, pull back the reins on that course of events. And then reintroduce that later on, like in the late 60s, 70s, 
with uh, the uh, whole counterculture hippie movement and sex, drugs, and rock and roll and all that that got pushed heavily in the you know late sixties, early uh, late sixties and seventies. And then and, the pill by that point, then the pill played a, a, a big role in that. Yeah, then they had the pill, and then that was uh, the answer to the unwanted uh, children that were coming out of that. Yeah, so I don't know how. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know exactly. I don't know about that exactly, but you know, it. it, it you got to wonder, like, what, how, why all of a sudden that that it went uh, sort of, sort of one direction and then kind of changed directions rapidly as far as that kind of, kind of cultural shift goes, and then, um, and then, then when was uh, prohibition? That was around that era, right? Right. That was uh, sometime yeah. I believe in the in the twenties, if I have that right. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I think too they that was to kind of make drinking taboo and then of course this is a lot you know a lot of people got into it because it's kind of illegal it's kind of a underground thing and then there was these uh they, they call them speakeasies where you know right. you go in and get under the table booze and all that and those were said really popular they're all over the country that was following oh. prohibition yeah, I think maybe I heard you talk about. I've heard somebody talk about it recently about like how all the the, the speakings that was actually to uh, promote alcohol use rather than you know prohibition was actually to promote alcohol use rather than the other way around. Uh, and I don't know how you know you, you know you hear about the speakings and uh, it seems to me you know just from hearing about it, it's like okay, well maybe there were a couple and you know like or it was like something in you know, New York and, you know, Chicago or something, but, you know, they weren't really that widespread, but I don't know that. And, you know, maybe they were, uh, uh, you know, a, a lot more widespread than uh, I had suspected. Yeah, I think then, like, cocaine was legal, heroin was legal. So you had people doing that. You had, yeah, it's pretty, pretty wild time then. And then all of a sudden it went, 180 degrees and shit changed directions and uh that wasn't reintroduced till later you're talking about in the 30s um about uh, what what was in 30 the well you say it went it went 180 degrees so you're saying there was like all this you know debauchery and licentiousness in the 20s and then it and then it, it you know i guess and you, what you seem to be talking about is with the depression, all of a sudden that that shut down. Is that what you're talking about, or or, or something else? Yeah, I think so. I mean, something, something, uh, whatever the depression was, the triggering or event or what, what, whatever it was, it was. I think it was a different, definitely a cultural shift back to more conservative ideals. Yeah. Well, and I think a similar thing happened with um, the AIDS epidemic in the in the 80s, where um, you know, like by I mean, and you can make an interesting parallel, I think, between the the 70s and the 20s, uh, where you know the 70s became more and more about that, uh, you know, just uh, 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 what's the word, uh, luxuriant debauchery is the only thing I can come up with right now. You know, where, you know, like there were these like, uh, uh sex clubs in, in New York City. I think, uh, Plato's Retreat was a famous one. 
and uh, uh, you know, like this is, and then you know, Times Square at that time. I don't know if you went there or saw pictures of it, but uh, you know, in Times Square, it was just a uh, uh, porn, you know, like these with marquees of uh, you know porn. And uh, I remember as a teenager visiting that and just being absolutely shocked uh, at the uh, uh, at, at that situation. And 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 it did seem like uh, you know, like as the you know seventies turned into the eighties, it was just like uh, it was a very um, uh, just sexuality. The you know the expression of physical sexuality was becoming more and more prevalent. And then all of a sudden, just like somebody turned off turned off the faucet, right? AIDS. That's it. It's all over now. Yep, you're gonna get AIDS. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think that was a whole manufactured crisis myself. Uh, whether or not there is an AIDS virus, I I, I doubt it. Um, totally manufactured. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, yeah, I tend to think that the uh, drugs that they gave to people for the so-called treatment uh, it, is what caused whatever deaths there were. Yeah. Yeah, I know I've done a bit of uh, research into that, and, and uh, yeah, I totally uh, uh, agree with all that kind of thing, that the, uh, the uh, um, uh, AIDS dissonant uh, movement. I mean, I think that's pretty much, you know, kind of the, you know, uh, subjects we're talking about, I think that's pretty much the party line, right? You get it, 9-11 truth and AIDS truth, and, you know, but, but that's that's how I think, you know, that's, that's, that's definitely the way I think about things. Uh, and, you know, like I often mentioned that, that it is just hard to underestimate what a serious psychological impact AIDS had on the people coming of age and, you know, like the 80s, right? It, it was, it was a huge deal for everybody. And, oh, yeah. uh, and like, I, and like I said, it was like as if, you know, like if you, are willing to posit the fact, you know, posit the possibility that there are social engineers, right, and people who, like you're saying, can kind of like steer society in this way and that. It, it sure as hell seemed like AIDS was used to do something like that. For what purpose? I I don't know. I, I don't know why. I, I I that I don't know. But it really did seem that um, you know, like that was a. I mean, you know, it feels like uh, a, a fairly serious form of uh, psychological warfare, and you know, just to me personally, that's how it feels. Uh, you know, because basically they're they're you know projecting this uh, 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 what seems to me to be complete unreality uh, on the society, and you know, uh, and and if the entire society is operating uh, uh, on unreality, you, you don't know which way is up. Oh, yeah. And, in, you know, and that affects you on a very personal level. Like that, that you know, you know, like particular, you know, like that, that you know, very, and this has been pointed out before, you know, like that, that you know, like it, 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 it was on, it's like a very primitive level that the age, you know, like that, that if you want to call it a psyop, that that uh, uh, happened, and uh, um, 
Yeah, I mean, it's just some kind of, you know, uh, uh, psychological war, informational war. And, 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 you know, I think one of the, the uh, salient points here is that if you're in a society that believes that everybody in the society believes that uh, uh, having sex will kill you, then that is your reality, whether it's true or not, right? If everybody believes that, it's true, right? If you're the only person, if, if, if everybody in the society believes having sex will kill you, and you're the only person that believes that it won't, then, then even though you're right, you're worse off. You'd be better off believing the lie. Yeah, I mean, uh, I... I looked at uh, some stuff about that, the whole AIDS ep- epidemic, and then there's that guy, uh, Peter Duisberg. You heard of him? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I thought the way he described it and how it how it plays out made a lot of sense. You know, you have whether or not I don't know whether or not it's true. What particular virus? You know that it, it is it's, it's common. It's, it's it's a common virus. It's like a lot of people have it. And uh, they don't even, it doesn't even uh, do anything to you. It's just there, and it's sort of inert. And uh, so, you know, they went about identifying that virus as a, as a uh, deadly virus. And so you, you test positive for that uh, antibodies, you know, for that particular virus, which is not anything really out of the norm, and it's not really anything that's going to be really detrimental to you. But then it's it's set up so that that is recognized as uh, you know a, a, a lethal, deadly disease, and then you go in for treatment, and then the treatment kills you, and then yeah. and then that's proof of the disease. You know, it's like look at all the people it's killing. You know, it's like a, it's but it, it never was anything to be concerned about to begin with. It's like and then. I think the whole attitudes toward measles in the modern day speaks a lot to that idea because people are fucking terrified of measles. And that's because that idea that measles is deadly, measles is going to get you, measles, if your child gets measles, that's that's basically uh, people nowadays, if their child got measles, they would think that it was a death sentence. But um, I don't know if you saw it, I put a put a video up on my blog uh, from just old shows from the 50s and 60s and uh, back before there was a measles vaccine or all this scaremongering about measles and it, it was it was sort of a routine part of like uh, comedies and sitcoms oh uh, or the, like the Brady Bunch oh uh, uh, Jamie got the measles and, uh, and it's kind of oh well you know and it's like well it's like so the it's not uh, it's not one of those very special episodes where they're dealing with a serious subject and it's normally a condom. No, it's just it's part of a, it was a, it was a uh, a um, punchline. All right. So no, people weren't concerned about it at all back. You know when kids would just get measles and then they would it would run its course and that that would be the end of it. And um, but you know it's it's it, it it's Everybody's told that it's serious, and so now everybody now believes that it's a, it's a serious, deadly disease that everybody needs concern about. To the point where 
people want to have forced vaccinations because they're so terrified of measles. It's it's insane. Right, and and the other thing, and and, and that's about, and you know, I, I don't have children, so thank God I don't have to deal with that kind of thing. And there's like a thousand issues around children that <laughs> I don't know if there's anybody out there that believe in everything I believe. There's no vaccinations, no circumcision, no X, Y, and Z. I feel like if I ever did get out of kid, I'd just be arguing with my wife the entire time. <laughs> oh yeah, it'd just be a constant uh, battle. Yeah, no, I, 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 and maybe that's the reason I don't have kids. I, I don't want. I just don't see that being a peaceful uh, uh, situation. And then you know there'd be other. And, and, anyway, I don't get into that. But uh, yeah, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, I lost my train of thought. Hey, we got another caller on here, Tom Bowie. You on there, Tom? Good evening, gentlemen. Good hey, evening. how's it going, Tom? Yeah, um, I have no doubt whatsoever that there are um, social engineers. Um, in fact, they're on more than uh, one level and uh, one side. The uh, basic principles for uh, such things were um, known to the Greeks. And oddly enough, until very recent times with the uh, Internet, you really couldn't find out any information on these. And I practice, I guess, um, a little bit of social engineering myself, if you want to put it in those terms. How's that? Yeah. Um, I'm with a group, and I'm on a consistent message. Uh, consistent messages uh, spread memes, which was uh, originally studied by the Greeks. You come up with a um, catchy little phrase or jingle, and you do a broken record whereby you repeat it over and over again until it becomes part of the cultural fabric. Right. And you do not need um, thousands of people to do it necessarily. The more people you have, the quicker you can spread it. Um, and, and so you say, you're, you say you're a social engineer yourself, and you, you spread it means yourself? Not as a professional, but I've uh, been studying from somebody who knows it, <laughs> and I know, and uh, pretty much everybody I'm associated with on that level has. What means are you spreading? Are they spreading? Oh, it's um, something called the mantra. It points out what an end game of this system we're in is. It points out an inconsistency in the system. Okay. How does it do that? Um, well, the uh, very um, mantra itself points out something that is inconsistent with uh, the way the world works. Certain conditions only apply to certain places. And once you've started with that point, with that uh, speech, it's somewhat um, 
long. It's almost two minutes the way I talk. <laughs> uh-huh. But um, everything comes back to that. We've been socially conditioned to ignore the uh, basic outcome of the system we're under and the propaganda we're under. We live in a uh, closed system that's controlled by sound waves, basically words. Words shape our reality. And everybody has been conditioned to have a knee-jerk reaction to a particular message. They may find it silly at first. They may oppose it. But you can always point out and bring back to the point that the system has one inevitable end. And what's that? What's the end? What, they, what end are you talking about? The rich getting richer? No. Um, the, the rich are going to get rich in any system. The rich were worth, uh, were wealthy before um, such a mean, such a system was in place. Okay, well then what's this, what's this ultimate end you're talking about then? Genocide. Oh, Lord. Ah, that sucks. In particular, well, you you can say, oh, Lord, if you want. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I Is that a conditioned response? <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. From Hoaxbusters? Come on. <laughs> I haven't been completely de-brainwashed yet. Well, no, none of us have. We were ra- to use an analogy, we were raised in the Matrix. And uh, some of us know this outside world and have seen parts of it. But uh, none of us have been permitted to fully step outside of this Matrix yet. No, it's not easy. No, it's very nearly impossible but the um, at some point if y'all gentlemen wish to uh, <laughs> I think it might make an interesting show because I don't think you're going to accept the premise right off the bat of what I'm saying but if at some show you would like to uh, go into that I would be more than happy to do so does that have anything to do with magic mushrooms no, I'm afraid not. <laughs> I'm just joking. Uh, <laughs> no, I, 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 I'm joking around, but it's like, uh, yeah, that's sometimes you hear that. It's like, yeah, you got to free your mind, man. You got to trip out to tune in. Well, that was the whole uh, '60s counterculture uh, mantra. So what are you proposing yeah. that is uh, it's a it's a way to um, to to think to approach questions? Uh, or? It, it's well as, as um, to put it in another way. As you talk about all of the social engineering, what are those but weaponized words? Okay, I get that. Um. We have uh, weaponized words that are right in front of us every day. And at least one of them was invented solely for that purpose. A um, fellow by the name of Leon Trotsky invented it. 
or he actually read it in a book, and it was a uh, misuse of a actual word. And um, he proposed and then did use it as a weapon against his enemies. And um, later he proposed it to be used as a weapon against the Western world, world, the, enti the entire Western world, and produce a um, what had occurred in Russia, but on a different uh, platform. In uh, Russia, the Bolshevik Revolution was from the bottom up, and the rest of the world didn't bite. So his idea was to create a top-down revolution. Is the word uh, democracy? No. <laughs> Although that anymore is a word. Uh, people word. like this always change their ifs and isms. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, they will redefine themselves and redefine their words at a drop of a hat. The word he introduced into the uh, lexicon was racist. And you can mm. actually research that. Mm. Racist, yeah. Yeah, racist. Before um, that word, there was the word racialist, and that would be any person who worked for the betterment of his race. Mm -hmm. And um, racialist was uh, in common usage. Now, people don't use that word. It's associated with the word racist. Yeah, well, I can definitely see the point that racist is a, it would be a good candidate for a weaponized word. I, that, that makes total sense to me. Yeah. Um, and, and once you uh, actually understand that that word was specifically introduced into a society in order to alter it, uh, you can't view it as anything other than a weaponized word. Um, I can actually get a look of fear on someone's face by um, just picking a stranger in the mall and uh, say in a somewhat loud voice, that's racist, what kind of Nazi are you? <laughs> First they'll show confusion, and then as people look at them, they'll show fear. Yeah, it's definitely a loaded, loaded word in uh, the modern era. Uh, certainly, yeah, it's used a lot too, and I think um, to the point where it it has gotten to where it's so overused that it it is about to lose its uh, sort of a power. I think it's well, it's got maybe got getting to that point where it, it's so thrown around so easily by by people that it it is. I think now it's getting to the point where it's it's becoming less and less effective as a as a method to you know to, to shut somebody down or to shut an idea down. Oh yeah, um, and the word for all intents and purposes only really produces that um, fear reaction in the same way for white people. 
as a matter of fact, for the mo- for all intents and purposes, any time the um, word is invoked, the mental imagery someone has is of a white person, white male usually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, if you've ever been on a, um, when you've been on a job site, you probably know that if the uh, black fellow gets accused of racism, unless he was saying something incredibly insane, it gets laughed off. Well, if you're white under the rules of political correctness, <laughs> that company exists to make money and political correctness says get rid of you and make sure no one protests them and causes them to lose a nickel hmm. yeah it's definitely a tool it's part of what is it cultural Marxism yeah. To um, yeah, I, I see it. I see it used a lot to kind of um, really directed towards certain ideas as being sort sort of covertly racist ideals, and um, and used to to shut down discussion and used to uh, yeah brand brand certain people. So that uh, they get they get labeled a racist, and then it, and then it sort of invalidates whatever they say. Well, not only that, it can have real world implications beyond that. Um, you can uh, lose your uh, job, your livelihood, become unemployable um, if it gets spread around enough. And currently, the, the uh, neoconservative, the respectable conservative party, so as they are, um, they pretty much spend their time saying it's not about rates. <laughs> I got, <laughs> and uh, yeah, sure, it's not. Maybe it is. Maybe it ain't. But if you have to spend all of that time defending yourself, you're under attack, and you're open to attack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, when I said the word genocide, and there was a little bit of skepticism, most people think they know what genocide is. But they really don't. It doesn't involve bombs or bullets and I um, have read the works of the man who invented the term to uh, come up with it's any targeting and or harm done to an ethnic racial religious group as such uh, it's any type of targeting against them and it does not have to um, entail, except in times of war, any overt actions. Mm-hmm. When the uh, Chinese took over Tibet, 
and decided to assimilate the Tibetans. That's genocide. And when the, um, as has been pointed out many times, when the, um, even forcibly transferring children of one group to another group is genocide. If you target and somebody gets a minor boo-boo, well, you may as well kill them all. International law is brutal. <laughs> well, if you take and destroy a certain group, you, you destroy their culture, and you yeah. destroy their identity, and you uh, dissolve or assimilate it, or however you want to go about it, that's that, that's tantamount to a sort of genocide. I mean, you've wiped out their identity, you've wiped out their culture, and then they get uh, simulated in a in so-called civilization. Um, that that is a t- yeah, I, I can understand that as being a type of uh, genocide. It, it it's, it's not so important that you're uh, eradicating a certain um, racial. Uh, uh, feature or racial uh, trait or anything like that. It's that um, you're you're destroying their identity so that they can't stand independent as a any kind of uh, uh, a cohesive group or a cohesive cohesive culture uh, on their own. And uh, I, I think that's what is at work with um, all all of the stuff goes on that's related to race. It's it's a systematic um, eradication of the those uh, ways that people, um, you know, that, that tribes, that cultures, that people that form their identities, you know, based on their similarities and their in uh, that sort of thing gets gets attacked, and uh, I, th- I think the what we're experiencing is a sort of uh, monoculture where everything is being sort of taken and blended up into this sort of cultural mush or pulp and then you end up with uh, oh well Mexican food now it's Taco Bell and everybody likes Taco Bell because uh, it's, it's sort of this pseudo Mexican food that's sort of dumbed down and commodified and, and pasteurized to have widespread appeal. Uh, that sort of thing. And that gets yeah. assimilated into so-called American culture. And what is American culture? It's just sort of this mis, mis, mishmash of uh, different uh, trappings of cultures, but without the substance of those cultures and what really there was about them that made them uh, cohesive and uh, and helped people to identify with one another. That that that's what's being done. I I really don't put a lot of emphasis, or I I, I really don't think that there is a lot of um, uh, there is a lot of push out there or anything anything systematically to to deal with any kind of like uh, biological underpinning to. You know, whoever, whatever particular race you might be talking about, I, I really don't well, think so, and I, I don't think that there is um, 
favoritism exactly that's you know favors you know maybe somebody who's white over somebody who's black i mean i think whatever whatever that um whenever that happens in society i think it's it's just as is just a byproduct of people um sort of naturally wanting to associate uh, among people who are like them and that may include you know a black person not getting hired or something like that because you know there's that um uh sort of you know desire there to keep to keep you know people in a certain identifiable group and and exclude other people and i don't i don't i don't think there's anything necessarily uh oppressive about that intentionally but it's just um it's just reality and i think that's 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 a problem that that comes out of our whole uh, industrialized culture, and you have to make a living by going to work for a company or a corporation, and uh, and 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 then you have to accommodate uh, different uh, different people, different races, different ideas of of the way people ha- handle themselves, and all that it has to be assimilated and incorporated, and then concessions have to be made for all that stuff. But that's that is not uh um i i don't think a lot of a lot of stuff that gets taken for racism is not necessarily racism well if i go back to the um case example that is considered uh genocide openly of uh, the tibetans once you rob them of their se- uh, sense of identity you assimilate them into the massive sea of chinese there are no Tibetan people anymore. Yeah. You uh, break down a sense of people with any group, you're wiping them off the face of the earth. You didn't use bombs or bullets as the uh, original convention attended, intended. Social engineering will do it. Yeah, weaponized anthropology. Anthropology being a study of cultures and how to uh, eradicate them. I mean, that's that's something that's been going on. I, I think that's uh, that's a function of civilization is to study those cultures and to find out how to uh, undermine them. I think that's what uh, anthropologists do. That's what their function is, and uh, and then to get them, yeah, to assimilate into so-called civilization and accept things that are never are to accept for, for uh, concepts that are foreign to them that they have no conception of, and then uh, they can be, um, you know, their the the foundations of their their societies could be undermined, and then then they'll be open to these uh, foreign concepts, like school, like uh, you know. But then I think a lot of a lot of a lot of those approaches have to do with um, effectively taking away their means to be self-sustaining, self-sufficient. And then it's like, well, what's what's left? Well, I have to get into the money system and make money to survive and then you have to go to school which is systematic indoctrination 
into particular ways of thinking, uh, particular ideas about authority and what that all means. And we, as Americans, you know, like growing up in the United States, I mean, we, we take all that stuff for granted. Like, you know, people generally see that as normal. And that's just the way, you know, you, you, you do things. And it's, and, it's, and it's accepted. And that's not even questioned. And that's what I was talking about when I, when I um, went in the whole tirade about the law and the authority and all that. I mean, it's really based on nothing other than uh, people's conditioning. It only exists in their mind because of a construct that was uh, built for you to live in, but it's inside your mind. It's not, it's not, uh, yeah, it's not based on anything um, legitimate. But did we accept yeah. it? I mean, we, we accept it because that's all we know. We, we accept yeah. indoctrination and the, you know, systematic conditioning and stuff that process that we undergo uh, when we get the, in these schooling institutions and all that. And, you know, it's it all goes back too to to money. I mean, you have to do this to make this thing called money. And uh, you have to get develop skills and, and learning and knowledge and stuff to to make yourself uh, valuable to the so-called job market. And then but along with that comes all your conditioning and everything to make you a functioning member of, you know, so-called society and civilization. But we, we take yeah, all those I things for granted. I can't recall which one it was, but I remember one university. Um, well, they proudly announced, at least until they caught a lot of flack for it, that as a modern university, their job was to teach people what to think, not how to think. All right, yeah. They don't teach people how to think. No, that, that would be counterproductive. Interestingly enough, it means the, uh, ones, the ones who were uh, saying that and not thinking it would um, ca cause a problem for them to announce that would have uh, had to have been under the same type of conditioning in order not to realize that. Uh-huh. You're, you're telling people you <laughs> your job is to program them, and you don't think that's going to be <laughs> a problem? Yeah, I mean they just don't they just don't define it in those terms. It's just uh, yeah. it's called something else: education. Yeah, that's a favorite. An educated favorite person word. thinks this. An educated person believes this. Why don't you educate yourself and think like everybody else so you'll be an independent thinker? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As you can tell, I'm not a real shy person. You're not? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, we take stuff for granted and never question it. I mean, people go throughout their entire lives and never question the, the premise of a lot of stuff that they just accept because they're conditioned to accept it. And that's that's what education is all about as, as you know, at, as it stands in our modern society. 
civilization. It, it, you know, it, it's not just learning facts and figures and how to add and subtract and and how to, you know, parse a sentence or anything like that. It, it's it's about uh, um, learning to be obedient, learning not to create friction by asking, you know, thought-provoking questions or anything like that. Because it's all rote. It's like you you're given a set of facts. And by inference, those sets of facts are important. Like, oh, this king did this, and he took a crap in a chamber pot, and his and his subjects examined it for whatever crap they want to teach you in school. And by inference, that's important. And so you are being uh, conditioned on what sort of things are important, and who and what types of people are important, and why they're important. And uh, you you accept that to get along and to gain favor with your instructors. And once you're done with that process, you're fully conditioned into the system. And then you 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 never think to question the whole premise of oh well why was King Henry VIII so important for me to learn about? Like what made him so special over any other particular human being that was alive during that particular time period? Because other people said he was, because he w- he had some kind of magical powers that nobody else had, because uh, he was smarter than, so much smarter than the average person, that uh, his his ideas and thoughts had so much weight and value that it, it was uh, inevitable that people f- follow it, be- because of the f- the force of his personality or the force of his words. Or what was it? But you, you, you're never taught to question that. You just, by inference, that person is important. And if you, because if he wasn't important, you wouldn't be required to study him, right? Yeah. Well, what you're talking about there is basically the cult of the royal. And I think it's a good question. It's like, why, you know, focus on these individual characters of the, Kings and queens, I, it was something always uh, uh, kind of disturbed me, or presidents for that matter, uh, which I think are our American uh, translation of uh, uh, the, you know, the, the, the archetype of a, of a king. Uh, and, uh, but, but, but yeah, so, so that's just the way history is written, is from the point of view of uh, royalty. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I guess you can argue that, um, well, there's, you know, everything's just uh, condensed into, you know, these royal uh, uh, personalities or, you know, uh, royal uh, uh, proclamations. Um, and I guess you can also argue that, that the reason you're studying kings and queens is because that's where the economic power resides or real political power resides. But... Um, yeah, there is some kind of a uh, uh, you know urge, human urge to to worship a, a royalty for its own sake, and I, I think that's uh, you know when you're talking about you know why are we studying King George, that might come down to just that. Yeah, I mean that's what you're getting uh, you're getting introduced to. I mean, um, you get uh, this idea put in your head that there 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 exists these certain special people. And they're rulers, and they're recognized as rulers. And um, you know, you're you're 
your to accept that. Yeah, uh, um, the original divine right of kings, so to say. Well, yeah, that was that was accepted. That was accepted for many. Still is. I mean, but it was accepted for many centuries. As you know, yeah, that's they have they have right to rule because they come from particular families, and you know that's just the way it is. I mean, that seems pretty universal. That that people you know just want to believe in in kings and authorities, and you know, just like I, I constantly because you know these medical issues that we were talking about before. I, uh, something I really thought deeply about, and, and you know, one, one of the things you see there is people really want to believe in the man in the white suit, right? And they just have a deep belief, you know, deep need to believe in that, that, uh, you know, this person is going to step in and knows what he's doing, is going to make everything okay. And uh, I think it's the same way with the... Uh, and I, I guess on a personal level, I can understand the, you know, the worship of... of, of of royalty, I, I, I mean, I, I think I can understand what that is, um, although I can't quite put my finger on it, but I'm just saying that, I, okay, I, uh, can, I guess I've been through periods in my life where I understand uh, that, um, you know, just what that would feel like, even, you know, regardless of how logical or illogical it is. I mean, so what I'm pointing to is that, that you know, like this, uh, uh, you know, reverence towards uh, uh, kings is, is it just seems to be near universal, and you know that's one of the tenets of you know modernism. Since uh, you know we're talking about like you know Trotsky, uh, you know, like that was like one of the the, the you know main points of uh, that uh, communist philosophy is like, well, that's just not scientific, is it, to uh, to worship kings and queens. And uh, there in Russia, you know, you had the murder of the Romanovs, big historical event, uh, royal family of Russia, and, uh, uh, and 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 so so they said, okay, now we're going to replace this everything with this. Uh, you know, we're all equal now. We're all this is a democratic, equal society. There are no kings and queens. And uh, there's something I think we all know. <laughs> well, it didn't quite work out that way, and, and it's almost like the king that that they. Somebody's manipulating that archetype, you know, from yeah. somewhere else. It's hard to know well, what's going on. Well, it was the whole dialectic, what they do, or what was done to us um, in our particular uh, so-called constitutional republic, or whatever you want to call it. It's that, you know, we're, we're presented to this idea of, you know, so we get introduced to the kings and queens and the way it was in England and, the, and Britain, and... Um, and then, you know, okay, these people are important to learn about. You know, why are they important? Because we're told they're important to learn about. Because what comes next is what we're, what, is what we're going to be sold, and which is a bill of goods, is that the, these people came along called the Founding Fathers, and they represented a departure from the divine right to rule, which is bizarre. And, they, and, and I always point out the fact that they wore powdered wigs. Well, they wore powdered wigs, to mimic uh, King Louis the Fourteenth, who wore a powder wig and started that whole trend, so they had the trappings of the deference to royalty on top of their heads when they wrote the Constitution. So that should yeah, told, no. that should that should clue you into something. But yeah. but they were they were they were 
taking taking everybody, and they still do to this day. When you learn about the founding fathers and you learn about royalty, you're taken through the dialectical process. You're presented with the uh, thesis, royalty, the divine right to rule, and the antithesis, the founding fathers. And the thesis is the so-called constitutional form of government, which is just a, a hybridization of the divine right to rule to begin with. You see what I mean? It's still the same thing. You're, it was just repackaged by, being, by taking you through the dialectic of, oh, here's the bad king. Here's the good guys that are against the king. And uh, we all know the, 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 the divine right to rule and all that's a bunch of nonsense. We've, we've grown out of that. And here's the good guys that, have, that uh, represent the, um, the, the departure from the divine right to rule. And you need to do what they say. <laughs> well put. Well put. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. You just handed one. You you just asked to trade one fable for another by pitting one against the other, and that's what's happened to us, and we accept it. It's 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 mind control. It's brilliant, but it's like that's. And that, and that is, if you understand that, how that works, I think that's a key to understanding uh, the whole history of the United States up until this day. It's how it's like everything is a dialectic. You, you presented a problem. You're given this. You're given the um, thesis, antithesis, and then the synthesis, which is what you end up with. And and it's it's just and and they just rinse and repeat every cycle. It's just. You know, every four years you go through the election cycle. You get presented with this bunch, and then this president, and then they and they implement certain laws that take you further into more government incursion and more government uh, authority. And uh, then you know you vote the bombs out because you don't like all the stuff they did, and then you and then you and then you go through the dialectic again, and and again and again and again, and people never figure it out. Because they never question the premise. You got to question the premise. It's like, what, what is the premise based on? Well, it's something that's arbitrary. It's like you do what we say, or we kill you. It, that's it's that simple. But it's like, well, yeah, yeah. If you tricked enough of people to believe in your bullshit, and then you have rulership over them, you know, because everybody goes along with it because they think that's what they have to do. Uh, but yeah, that's it's, it, it. Was it's a scam to begin with? It's like what. Um, the divine right to rule is has been sort of redefined uh, and recontextualized to the point where um, not only do you have one authority, one sovereign authority, the king, you have multiple bureaucrats and agents and police and uh, mayors and councilmen and all that stuff that serve the same function. And you still have the concept that they have a legitimate authority, but they ha have tricked everyone to accepting that um, when you, you know, it's a set of circumstances to where you call them out on their bullshit or you call them out on something that uh, is a, a gross injustice that was done. And what is the response going to be in this day and age? Well, that's not my department or I can't help you. There is no complaints department. We're we're in a bigger mess than we ever were with a king, because at least you could go round up the mob and and go with your pitchforks and your flaming torches and 
and throw the king out of the castle. You can't do that anymore because there is no castle. There is no complaints department. There is no. It's it's it's. You want to hold the police accountable? Good luck. You want to hold the mayor accountable? Good luck. You're not going to do it. You know what that makes me think of is uh, I was part of a. Um, uh, uh, what was it? I think it was United for Peace and Justice right before. Uh, the American uh, incursion into Iraq, and this was in, uh, I think it was in March of uh, 2003. It was a huge uh, march in New York City. Uh, I- I've never been in a situation where uh, I felt like uh, I- I'm like Guy, right? I mean, it was like, you know, my I was pushed up against the wall by, a, 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 you know, police horses, but, and um, it, was a, it was a lot of people, and uh, then after after that was kind of I think the next day there was another secondary march and then they uh, led us to uh, I guess it was like okay well, we're going to take y'all to uh, to uh, 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 protest outside the residence of, of Rudy Giuliani or I, I think that's who it was and and that always struck me as kind of ridiculous uh, for kind of the reasons you're saying it, it, it's just like well I, this, it, it didn't even. You know, like where, you know, there is no place where we can go and, you know, like, okay, here's, here's the guy who is gonna, you know, be able to change it. I mean, any, you know, like one, you know, authority figure you go to, um, is, you know, just part of a, you know, anonymous machine that you, you don't really know where it is. And I think part of what we're saying is, is that, you know, I think, I think, you know, presented with that situation, a lot of, like, uh, uh, People who would want to call themselves liberals today um, would would say, "Well, that's because just you know we've come to realize in this modern world that everything's random, and uh, there is no central you know like all this stuff is happening, and it, you know nobody has any control over it, and it just kind of happens." And uh, I think part of what we're saying here is, "Is no, it's actually not random, and uh, there's, there are people who know damn well what's happening." And uh, uh, but but you don't know who they are. I, I think that's part of what we're saying. Yeah. Well, you got um, okay. All these people that are in charge, they're authorities, but they have no accountability. If they had accountability, you would be able to track them down, like on the telephone, and say, "Hey, you know, I, I have this is this problem. Uh, I, I need to get it taken care of." But what you're going to be told is like, "I can't help you. I can't do anything about it. I, I don't have any uh, authority to do this." Um, well, who does? Well, um, it, it's see. This is just a. This is a matter of law. You know. This is you know. And that's what the law says. And this is what you know. And there's nothing nobody can do about it to overturn it or whatever. Um, that's what ends up happening. And then you may be told, well, you know, you need to go and uh, file suit and go to court. And then you file suit and go to court. But then you but then that's a whole that's a whole nother process. And it and it's not going to it's not going to bode well for you in the more in most cases. Right. Um, it, it, but then, you know, the off chance that it does the only thing that that does is restore your faith in the idea that you there there is some fairness to the whole system, and that you know you you can you know get remedy or get justice when uh, you really really put forth the effort and try to do it. But the, but the encroachment on your freedom or whatever like that is is 
can be done with the wave of the pin. It can be done with uh, the, the a decision by a cop, a decision by a, just just like that, the snap of a finger. But undoing it is a huge drawn out process that takes hours of your time, that takes expends so much of your energy to get get it undone. It's like you can't you can't undo it anywhere near with the quickness of of, of the rapid decision that's made that. Uh, affects your life in a, a profound way. You can't you can't do anything about getting getting it resolved, even if it's like an obvious encroachment uh, upon you illegally, and it can be demonstrated that it was illegal, that it was unjust, that it wasn't called for, that you didn't deserve the punishment that you're getting, and you could point it out in clear black and white white in the law, and then you can even have uh, an attorney's agree with you. You can have the judges agree with you. It doesn't matter. That will stay in place until you go through a lengthy, drawn-out process to undo the very thing that was done. Because nobody has, nobody in the system has uh, just um, that kind of power just to say, "Okay, I'm just going to dismiss this." Unless it's a judge, but then to go to the judge, you have to go through a process. It's it's crazy. It's like, oh well, the judge. Why do you need to go to a court proceeding? Well, we need to examine all the facts. It's it's a clear cut case. There's nothing really to mull over or to uh, debate about. It's cut and dry. It's in the law. The law was misapplied. The law was uh, misapplied in this person's case. This needs to be overturned. But you have to go through the process, and that is to discourage you. That's to keep you out of the system. That's to keep. That's to make you just lay back and accept whatever it is happening to you. Because to go through the process, you got to take time off of work. You got to put yourself out. You got to do all this other stuff, and it's going to cost you, and it's going to keep costing you. And it's, and and it's a way to discourage you. Yeah. And going and going through the process, you're you know like the court system. You're taking a risk. You're you're assuming that risk, and you're. Like, you know, taking, you know, there's a lot of people, you know, who, uh, you know, like, like they said, a little knowledge is a dangerous thing, right? You get in that court system with a little knowledge and you can, you can bet wrong, believe you me, as, as Alan Watt says, believe you me, you can bet wrong, even though you know you're right. You know, it's like you don't necessarily know how things are actually, you know, the real politics of the court system, right? And so you're dealing with that as well. So, you know, like that's, uh, and, and so, and, you know, like that's just, uh, the, the court system is a, is, a, is a weapon just like anything else oh, in yeah. politics. Like Blue Lake Bill says, it's a maze. They put you into this, like, rat maze, and you got to run around, run your ass off inside this maze. And, um, like I said, it doesn't, know, it doesn't matter how clear-cut your case is. It, I mean, it could just right. be as plain as day. You should, you know, you should, in the interest of, of undoing an injustice, you should be able to take care of it with a phone call. Hey, this was wrong. Hey, you made a mistake. And then they should own up to the mistake and, and let you off the hook. But they don't do that. You got to go to court. You got to go through all these hoops. You got to jump through all these hoops. And whatever, and, 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 and to hear what? To, 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 to determine what? There's nothing to determine. You know, maybe there's nothing to determine. Maybe it's just a cut. It's, a, it's an open and shut case. I mean, but you still got to go through the process. They still force you to go through the process, no matter what. And 
that's that's not legitimate there's no reason for it, it, it you know it, other than to discourage you and just to get rid of you and to keep you from uh, trying to trying to get anything uh, taken care of on, on in your case um, that's, that's the way the system is and it doesn't it doesn't serve the average person it's just a burden and me, me personally it's like I don't want to have anything to do with that you know my person you know like I don't care how right I am it's like I don't even want to I mean, I know I hear people on podcasts about various, you know, what, uh, uh, I, I can't think of exactly. Maybe you've had some, some, some guy on, you know, like who, you know, like they're, you know, like, you know, in the sovereign citizen movement, uh, where, you know, but, you know, like, like there's, okay, one guy is just, you know, like he's willing to, you know, hold the court system to, what it says it's supposed to do and go through the letter of law, but he's having to make that his full-time job to do that. And this guy or, you know, these people in it, you know, like, like uh, um, you know, they're, you know, have enough fight in them or, you know, just, just simply enough interest in, in, in the law, which I don't. I mean, I, you know, like I have my own interest. It's like I don't want to, uh, and, and the law is mildly interesting to me, but I sure as heck don't want to, <laughs> spend oh, yeah. my day, no, of course not. you know, going through statutes, but but that kind of in order to get like you know to really get the you know court system do what it's supposed to do. That's basically you know in some I mean, we're talking you know not even a just in in general like uh, you know something like the sovereign citizen movement. Like that's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to really get intimately involved in it in a way that you know. Just like to get my computer to run, I have kind of an interest in computers, but there's a point where it's like, okay, this is not interesting. I just want it to work. Right. Or, you know, you get a ticket and you get like a $200 fine for talking on a cell phone. And you weren't talking on a cell phone. The cop thought he saw you talking on a cell phone and you get issued a ticket and you got to go to court. But let's say you have like uh, a dash cam and you were filming and it was it was trained on you and it's it, and it proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that you were not on your cell phone um and it's an, it's an open and a shut case um you still got to go to court you still got to go through the through the through the uh process yeah you, you can't just uh walk into the court and you should be able to and just hey can you take a look at my uh, uh my smartphone here i got this footage that exonerates me from this crime uh, can you can you look at this and then like dismiss my ticket? No, no, we're not going to do that. We can't do that. You have to go before a judge, a magistrate, to to determine whether this this constitutes proof or not. And it and it's clear cut proof. There's it's undeniable proof. It doesn't matter. And that's 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 another way that the system does not serve the average person. It does not help the average person. And, it, and if you think going to court. And going and hire an attorney and doing all that stuff, and then you end up winning a case. If you think you've won, you're still you still have lost. You still are out, out of your time, out of your money, out of your exactly. That's uh, why you just it's better just that. to stay away from all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Even as much as win, much as humanly point. possible. Yeah, I mean, my my grandfather always said, he said, if you see a cop, turn around and go the other way. Like, <laughs> right on, man. <laughs> It's like I never knew how true those words were until t- today. It's like, oh my, oh my gosh, yeah, turn around and go the other way if you can. But uh, yeah, and then the, but the, here's the problem with that. It's like 
you do that, let's say they got a checkpoint set up, and you turn around and go the other way, they'll hawk your ass down and get you. Yeah, for a checkpoint. I mean, that's a yeah. different. Yeah, check the, that. Yeah, no, you can't turn around. That's a bad idea. At that particular instance, you cannot turn around and go the other way. They got you. Yeah. So some sometimes there's no escape. I mean, you have to yeah. confront them head on. And it's like I I would rather be equipped with something. You know. Uh, yeah. I don't get into all the sovereign stuff because I think it's a bunch of bull crap. I mean. Yeah, I don't. I don't think appealing to common law is any good because that's just another set of laws. Like, why is that any more valid than the, than the invalid constitution that has no basis or premise? It, it doesn't have any more validity than any other written law. None of it does. It's it's all it's all man-made and made-up shit. You know, it's 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 right right. I, I, how, I what difference is it from Mormonism or Scientology? Why, why doesn't why isn't L. Ron, L. Ron Hubbard's writings the law of the land? It's like why? It's words on paper. What? I mean, come on! I mean, it, why not? It's it's. it's why? Well, yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. No, but uh, yeah, this is special parchment paper that they wrote on that's it, it's got some kind of power in and of itself infused into the parchment i, they I don't had know white wigs don't know. On. they had white wigs yeah on that's, you, you are right paul they did have powder, <laughs> white wigs was there something in the powder i i don't know i, I don't know it, 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 magical magical powder on the wig Oh, what's up, John? What did you post into the chat? I posted a band called The Upper Crust who plays in powdered wigs. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) I bet their music is better because of it. What's that? I bet their music is better because of it. Those white wigs are pretty powerful. Oh, yeah. They're called The the Upper Crust, and they have a very... uh, uh, elitist attitude. Uh huh. And they're it, it's it's a joke band, but yeah, their uh, their album is called "Let Them Eat Rock." Oh, nice title. <laughs> I think that's a closely guarded secret that anybody that slaps on a powdered wig is immediately infused with magical abilities. Like you play guitar better, you have better sex. You're you're. you're yeah, you're instant rock god. I think they're the only band that's clued into that fact. Yeah, they, and then you can write stuff down on a paper, and it's law. I, you didn't know that either, huh? It's all a bunch of hey, stuff. Chris. So. Hello. Can you hear me? Is this? Uh, I'd, like ask, uh, I'd like to ask. This is Ed. Oh, hey, Ed. Yeah, you're going to ask Tom. I wanted to ask Tom, Tom, to ask Tom a question. Okay. He seems to be. Uh, his intelligence seems to be quite high. Uh, from my research, and so I wanted to ask him the sixty-four thousand dollar question that goes along with what he said a while ago, and that is. What is the bottom line reason why the elite of the world uh, put 
uh, or move forward with the, with this issue of genocide on a nation? Why would they do that? Does he does he know the answer to that question? Tom, you know the answer to the question. Well, I I can tell you the first per person to write about it, but as for um, knowing the uh, reason behind the power structure, I can speculate why they would wish to. But uh, considering these people are experts at disinformation, mm -hmm. and all of these people at the top are somewhat shadowy because they do have their uh, own privacy, even if it's not for us mortals, that's all mm -hmm. it would be would be is speculation. Well, I've got research that can flesh it out for you. <laughs> but, but, but um, it, it, I, I generally don't need to know. I, I keep things simple in that if someone were, wants to destroy me, mm -hmm. uh, that's all I need to know. I, I don't need to well, know the reasoning. <laughs> well, the reason, the reason is important, too. The reason yeah. is important, too, because it goes to... It goes to a much, much deeper understanding once you understand the purpose of it. To give you an idea of what it's all about, if you saw the uh, Braveheart, the movie Braveheart, if you remember, the king had his uh, uh, council in the chambers there, and he was speaking to him. I think the girl. I think the the what was her? What was she? She was the Welch, Princess, Princess of Wells, or whatever. They were all there in the, in the council chamber, and they were trying to decide what to do with the Scottish people, how to deal with them. And what he said was, he said, if we can't rout them out, we'll breed them out. And he put into uh, effect the uh, prima noctur, I think is what he called it, and what it is, is that the first night that a Scottish man marries his wife, the first night an Englishman gets to spend the night with her, and and they ha and they all have a child, okay, and by that Englishman. And so this is not quite, it's not totally on, on, on the, on the uh, head of the nail, but it's close. Oh, yeah. The purpose of genocide, the genocide, as you were speaking of it, uh, trying to get the people of a nation, and, and, and in this case, our nation is really important uh, for this, uh, for them to become to get, gain control of the nation, because we are a republic, and in a republic, like you guys have already said, uh, the people are the owners of the nation. And and in order to understand who the owners are, you have to go back to the very beginning of the Constitution. It says in the preamble who the nation belongs to, who actually made the discovery and made the claim, staked the claim to this land. And it was, and it says in there that it was the, fr the framers themselves and their posterity. 
they bequeathed in the pot in the preamble to the Constitution, they bequeathed everything they claimed or discovered. They used to use the word discover, not not claim necessarily, but uh, everything that they did, they bequeathed it in the preamble to their posterity. Okay, that just happens to be the white people. They were the ones that that claimed the land. They were English. And they bequeathed it to their posterity. And if you go to the naturalization act, you'll find that those are the people, those are the people that, that the land belongs to. In other words, it was an inheritance that was to go on to those, to their posterity and, and to their posterity and on and on and on and on in perpetuity. Okay. In order for them to destroy the possibility of those people gaining an inheritance in the soil or in their nation, they come in and do exactly what you said, is they come in and destroy them by mixing the people up so that now there are no white folks anymore that can make the claim, and they can claim the land themselves. It's a conquering in which they they suggest how you can be conquered and you uh, take the steps to, to make it make it possible for them to conquer you they don't conquer you uh, they don't pick, they don't uh, uh, pick up anything to, to, no guns no nothing they just suggest to you how you can do it by using this racial uh, epithet uh, and making it uh, uh, a a uh, uh, Putting it on the on the ends of everybody's coat sleeve, you know, not to say it, not to use it, not to, and to think that it's bad to be to be racially conscious and so on and so forth, so that now it becomes a a, a tradition in your nation for you to destroy your own self so that you can't make an, a, a claim to your own inheritance and your own nation. And and the reason why it's so important for this nation, it's not important if you've got a monarchy. Because in a monarchy, the king claims to be the sovereign, the one who owns all the land, and all the people are the subjects. But in, the, in a republic, it's different, where the people are own, own jointly a piece of the rock of their nation, and they can make claim to that, that is, if they are the proper people. In other words, if they are the nation, the nation's people that was originally... Uh, intended by the laws of the land. That's why it's so important, because they can destroy us and make it so that we conquer our own selves for them. We don't, they don't have to uh, hit a lick at a snake except to make us believe that, that being racially conscious is bad. That's it. Well, and so we miss our, our seat with the other people. We mix our seed with the other people, making it making us unable to claim an inheritance. That's it. The, the first person to write about this, um, to write down a uh, plan for conquest, as you mm -hmm. described, described exactly that. Yeah. And he um, specified the target was the Indo-European people. Mm -hmm. And okay. that was um, Count Richard Coven Hove 
uh, Copenhagen Kalergi. Okay, gentlemen, uh, I wanted to let uh, another caller chime in. He hasn't. He hasn't. Uh, he hasn't Hi, spoken sir. yet. Um, Negan Negentropic. Negentropic. You on the call? Yeah, man. I don't want to Negan see Tropic. what you're. Yeah. Hey, what's going yeah. on, man? Hey, man. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to. Hey, I just wanted to allow you this opportunity here. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not very familiar with this uh, uh, talking on uh, radio and stuff because I just got my headphones a couple of weeks ago. Now you sound good. I can hear you. Real you clear. sound good. All right, man. What do you want to talk about? <laughs> um, yeah, I just thought you wanted might have wanted to add something in here to this. I wasn't. Li- I was hardly listening to the show. I was in a chat. What were you guys talking uh, about? No, that's cool. Yeah, I just. Uh, yeah, I just people you call in. What is this background noise, man? I keep hearing this background noise all the time. Is it uh, like a fan blowing? No, it's like the same radio shows playing in the background, like a few seconds off. And uh, oh, you're probably getting some feedback through your yeah, much, your, much, much lower in volume. Yeah, you have your uh, player turned on in your web application. It's because you're listening to that Christian identity radio station you got on in the background. What the fuck? No, it's the same show. It's the same show. It's the same show. I'm kidding. Some of the the settings are kind of finicky, and you have to have them just right in order to eliminate the uh, echo effect. Yeah, it'll take me forever. If you're to listening through speakers, if you're listening through speakers, it'll feedback through speakers. Oh, okay, let me turn the speakers off. I'm not listening through speakers. I'm listening through headphones, but my speakers were on. Okay. So, John, are you? Uh, uh, I want to ask John Adams if he uh, are you a member of the Lost Tribes of Israel? I'm. Well, I'm a, a white Indo-European. Um, Are you the demon seed? <laughs> yeah, but my my my. Unfortunately, unfortunately for my wife and daughter, they're not going to be able to go to Israel with me. Why not? Aren't you matrilineally uh, Jewish? Did you have two uncles? They they they. I I I I interracially married, so oh. unfortunately. Yeah. That's he forfeited, but maybe by, he forfeited his inheritance. Yeah, but maybe maybe by proxy they'll get let in, you know, because like, my my white blood, you know, intermixed with this, with them. So, well, what are y'all what are y'all talking about? Indo, now I know the Indo Aryan, Indo European languages, Indo European languages, but I've never heard of the, uh, you know, like, I, I always you know thought of the people coming to the the, the new world as just simply. Uh, Europeans and and I don't know. It, it seems like when you use the phrase Indo-European, you're borrowing a term from linguistics that um, I, I don't understand how it would uh, apply to the uh, uh, European uh, uh, settlers in, in in the Americas. I just wanted to Indo- I wanted to Indo- say, yeah, if if John, if you were if you were if you were wearing a powdered wig when you're having relationships with your wife. That that would negate all the disqualifications. <laughs> just let you know. Well, okay. Here's what I want to know. My name's John Adams. Where's my where's where's my all my land? Damn it. Good question. 
Good question. I got the same I've issue. Got, I've got I've got uh, I've got a red beard. I've got freckles. Um, I've got blonde hair. I've got blue eyes. I've got all the makings of, a, of an elitist. I'm, I'm over six feet tall. I mean, where is my land and all my money? Oh, that's good. You have to fight. You have to fight for it. I guess. I guess my. I guess uh, all the Jews that are intermarried into my family are stole it from me. Yeah. Well, um, you're probably right. <laughs> if you take one truth out of the uh, Constitution, it says you're uh, allowed the pursuit of freedom. Doesn't say you're allowed to uh, achieve it. So you're pretty much allowed to pursue anything. But uh, as for where it is, yeah, no guarantees in this world. <laughs> Since we got how many people we got here? We got I think we got we got enough to draft up a new constitution here. So maybe we could do that while we're at it. Well, uh, I don't have a powered wig, and I don't have parts actually paper. successful. Because the revolution had been successful, and it was an extension of that. We may have to start a revolution before we can uh, legitimately imbue it with the uh, magical energy, yeah. the emotional overflow. We got a is it, is that ma- is that magical energy called uh, money. No, no. That helps. You, you don't necessarily need money to uh, do a revolution. Yeah, so how could you do the first American Revolution? Don't they need money to do that? John, um, you work at a bullet factory, man. Let's uh, let's talk. Let's talk revolution here, man. Well, well I, I differentiate between um, revolutions and revolts. What about what about uh, what, what if I'm a Freemason and everybody else is a Freemason, and then all the people on the other side of the battle are all Freemasons, and then we could like work it out between us to where there's not like really that big of a war we just kind of like flash hand signs between each other when we see each other in the woods and then we've all got powdered wigs on so then we kind of just like work it out between the king and you know the, the people who are going to start the country we just say hey we're going to just like you just you the king you just play the bad guy and then we're going to play the good guys and then we'll run the country and you'll still be secretly owning all the yeah. land yeah, well, it helps all if all kinds of things can happen. Yeah, it helps if you have all your members of your secret society, like uh, the heads of it, at the heads of industry, the heads of the lumber mills, the heads of uh, that. That kind of helps too. If you're all in the same club, and then you can kind of move things in different directions, maybe. I mean, that's the problem with revolutions: is that you know you could be very sincere. The people participating and putting their lives on the line for revolutions can be very sincere, but it does seem to me like there's always going to be those guys in the back just waiting to play you for a fool. And just like in deals being made, and it's just like that's just as one of the characteristics of the world, it seems like, is it's just, there's just deceit in the world. You can't, you're not going to get rid of that. Evolution. Evolution. Revolution. Volition. Revolution. Yeah, you can never be sure which direction your revolution is going to go. 
you know the general idea. And a um, successful revolutionary doesn't start, per se, a um, revolution because he wants to. The time has to be right. Uh, Like the surfer, he can't uh, create the waves, but he can get on that wave that's already uh, brewing and ride the the beach, yeah. Why why wouldn't he be able to create the waves? That that doesn't make sense to me. Um, (laughs) It's a slow process. It takes a long time. Right, yeah. so what you would what you would do is you'd start much earlier than you, you see it, it's people tend to think of of the way that the world works in in the in the time that it's happening and the time that it's taking place, not in the hundred years that it took to actually create the the uh, conditions for revolution to come about. You see, you see what I mean? It's like the, the American Revolution didn't didn't come about in in a ten year time period. It came about in a hundred year time period. Because the people make it too complicated, man. It's just some people are. Why, why is that making it too complicated? When when there's tons of books out there talking about and and, and all sorts of things out there uh, that people call history. Where they talk about that type of stuff, where they talk know, about. But, um, let me let me explain. When you look at, <coughs> excuse me. When you when you look at uh, how people behave with each other, how do they, how do you deal with somebody else? I mean, there's two ways of dealing with somebody else. There's the win-win, and there's the win-lose. Okay, win-win is civilization, and uh, win-lose is that of the parasite. You know, if you take these two principles and categorize everything under these two principles that's all there is win-win and a win-lose what else is there you tell me well what about win-lose or draw win-lose or draw okay so that's the third one no, but what, how does that happen how okay, does that happen why, why would why would you necessarily why would you necessarily have win uh, win win or win parasite why, why would that be the only two choices? I don't know. Win lose. I mean, win lose. If I if I deal with you, like if I'm if I'm selling something to you and I rip you off, if I'm fraudulent, if I lie to you, I win. You lose. Okay. okay. That's why you have uh, you can sue me. I mean, you can you can try to get reparation off me, or you can uh, try to try to get your money back, or whatever. If you if you can prove that I I was fraudulent but, against. But but, 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 but let me finish. Issue. Let me finish. That's a systemic issue. Let me finish. Let me finish. But when when I'm dealing with you on a, a, I can also trade with you, and you can be satisfied. I can be satisfied. You win. I win. Win win. So all civilization is win win. And uh, the win lose parasites, uh, they need the win win people, the productive people, to survive because they're not producing. They're not producing. Hardly anything. They just sit on their ass and collect uh, their loot of what the producers are doing. And you're talking about uh, a, a larger chunk of the population than I think the most people realize. If, if you want, if you want to like break down the difference between what is productive and what is not, 
Uh, I mean, I think you, you could even classify the whole banking industry into a non-productive sector. If, if you look at the real tangible uh, wealth that they add to the economy, which is negligible, they, they, and, and their jobs could be done autom- automated with computers. Um, oh, so you have that. Why? And then you have all the bureaucracy and stuff that sits there and collects checks for uh, uh, the, the DEA, for example. The Drug oh, yeah. Enforcement Administration. They don't. They they don't add any value. As a matter of fact, oh, yeah. they create. Oh, no, they, they all win lose. Government they, is usually win lose most of the time. But that that you're getting at the. Uh, you, you have to examine the entire system. Well, you can, I said you can categorize everything if you want under those two headings. Those two headings are of. They're like the root of the tree. You can take all the branches to that root if you want to do it. I've tried it, and pretty much everything fits. And try to try to find something that doesn't fit into those two categories. Any human interaction, any human relationship that doesn't fit into those two categories, try to find it. Well, and the reason why that um, what 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 the main um, mechanism that opens up all these possibilities for all these scams and to have uh, all this unproductive class of people that even have authority over everybody else is the money system you have you know you separate your production and your consumption and you and you introduce a middleman and through that all of the energies of the, of the productive people can be absorbed and funneled into um all these uh um you know configurations of oppression over people you know that's that's that's, oh, how, yeah, yeah. that's how the money system works and it's and the money system is always going to lend itself to that the mind system is the ultimate, the ultimate, the uber win-lose. It's the ultimate win-lose. It's the root of everything. The money system is the ultimate. When you have usury and you have uh, counterfeiting starting out, legalized counterfeiting, then forget it. You know, your whole society is going to be fucked forever by uh, a whole bunch of win-lose uh, branches all over the place. It's going to encourage it. It's going to encourage that kind of behavior more. I got a question. Not not necessarily for uh, negentropic. Um, how can you be drinking fluoride right now? What do you say? How can there's Jews drinking drinking fluoride and eating GMOs right now? Uh, because uh, they're the same as you, pretty much. That the regular right, so, Jews, the average garden variety Jews, like your uncles and whatever that you were talking about. Uh, yeah, so, so, so I mean, that, that's what I mean. It's like, how do you? Chris and I have talked about this before. It's like, how do you know who's who? If you're gonna, if you're gonna get rid of all the, who's getting rid uh, of it? To, I never said that. Talking, I, not, no, I, I, I never said that you did. I wasn't talking about you. Yeah, I, I was talking about. I was talking about the dudes who were talking about that the white about you know the white oh, America. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, I was saying, how, how are you going to get rid of all the the, the Jews who are white? Well, you get rid of them. You yeah, mean you don't, don't get rid of them? You, you don't get rid of them. You ignore them. You mean like racial laws? Racial laws are in Germany. There were, uh, and like in those days, they didn't have DNA tests, but now they have DNA tests, so you can pretty much figure out what the genetics of each person is. So you can figure out if you're eighty percent European, you're seventy percent European, whatever. Yeah, every every race of people has a, has a, a definite 
DNA pattern. Yep. You guys know that. The, there's there's one way that you can do it in a country, and there's, it's uh, it's either if the law is passed to either give two options in the law for the people who are not a part of not a part of the nation. What, if, what if it turned either, out, what, if, what if you did a DNA test and then you found out that you had some Jew in you? Well, or what if somebody else? Well, that would what be, if, what if, that, well, well, let me explain. Wait, let me finish real quick. What if somebody else, like myself, uh, found out that I had some Jewish blood? But see, I, I've never been Jewish. I have no connection to anything Jewish or anything like that. So, right. therefore, right. I'm technically not Jewish. I, personally, like me, I don't even believe in Jews. I don't believe that there's a race of people called Jews. I think it's all made up. So They're not. There's not. They're, 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 a, they're a mixed race themselves. They're a mixed race. So... Right, so they're actually a type of person. They're not even a, a race. Of well, they're a religion. Kind of a... No, they're closer to a religion. They're not. They're not a, a race of people. They just are a, re a religious people, or so-called right. religious so, people. So, so, the, so, so it's the religion that you're work that that the um, that you're interested in. Um, but but yet it's a racial thing at the, at the same time. Can you explain that? It, that? The thing that you're interested in is the heritage. If you if you if you take well, let me give you an example. If you take several different races of people, and I don't care if they're mixed race or they're pure race, whatever, and you put them all together, they're all going to have a different religion, right? Aren't they? They're going to all have a different religion. So different right. philosophy, yeah, different philosophy. Religion just, just is basically. I'm just, I'm, just you, I'm just giving you. I'm just giving you an instance. But there's yeah. other things too that are different. But but they're all going to have different religions. And so if you put people with different religions in a nation, you're going to have chaos. It's going to start somewhere along the line. You're going to have massive chaos because people are yeah, believing completely different ways, like we are today here in this nation today. People are going to have differences of opinions, and it's going to cause all kinds of problems within the people because of the different beliefs in the religion. Uh, I know my dad told me one time, he said, he said the most dangerous religion is one where the people believe that if they die uh, doing something for their country, for their nation, uh, that, that, that they'll go directly to heaven. He yeah, well, said those are the most dangerous people in the world because they don't mind killing they don't mind dying. They don't mind, you know, like they did, like they did when they came in and bombed Pearl Harbor. That's their belief. They believe that too. The Japanese people, and when they came in, they they committed Harry Carey bombing those ships. Well, those are dangerous people because they have a belief that makes them dangerous, a religious belief that makes them dangerous. So if you if you mix just just thinking about the religion alone, nothing else. Not, not the language, not the heritage, not anything else. Just the religion. It over time, it's going to cause a big problem in your nation. Statism. So that's the reason why every nation should be a true nation. National. And what a true nation is, if you look at the definition of a true nation, it is one people. Like in our Declaration of Independence, it said, "When one people, they meant one people." They weren't talking about everybody else in the whole world 
uh, of being a part of this nation. That was not their intent at all, because when they used the word one people, that one people, that word people, was singular, not plural. But how do you establish nativity? You establish it through race, or you establish it through property, right? For, you got to have property, right? You believe in... If, Okay, how, how are you using the word nativity? You, you tell me how you're using the word nativity. I don't understand. I'm saying if you if you have a nation, you can have a nation as a race. Okay, you can have a re, people that are racially similar, the same or similar to each other, the most similar to each other. Like you can have a nation yes. be a white nation that only accepts people that are let's say sixty percent or more white. Okay. Right. Let me finish. Let me finish. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Or you, can, go or you ahead. can have, or you can have a nation that's more hardcore, and say 100 percent white, and nobody's going to join your club because nobody's going to qualify. <laughs> I mean, a few people are going to qualify, and you're going to have maybe I don't know, maybe maybe a thousand people that are 100 percent, 99 percent, whatever white. And it, that's all you're going to have. If you have, if you have a pure nation, if you have a pure nation of, I don't care if it's white, it could be, it could be Asian, Asiatic, you know. Uh, but how do you determine a pure nation? What's your, what's your standard of pure? It, it doesn't really matter. But see, but see, if you put a pure nation together, then as the children are born, and you know the the scriptures say that you're supposed to be fruitful and multiply. And if you multiply your children like you're supposed to in a nation, then before long you'll have a pure nation of a lot of people. And that's what was, that's the idea and the purpose of the framers was to create this nation. I'll, I'll give an example of why we know this is true. If you look at the Declaration of Independence, four paragraphs down, uh, I think it's at the end of the paragraph, as a matter of fact, it says, let this let this declaration be to a candid world. If you go look up the word candid in Webster's, Noel Webster's 1828 Dictionary, which is the only dictionary that our Congress, original Congress, recognized as being the definitions of the words of the English language. If you look up that word candid, the very first definition is white. So that's what they meant by that word was, let this be a declaration be to a white world. I know, but I'm not talking about the founding fathers. I'm talking about the philosophical foundations of all nations. I'm not talking about what they thought. Yeah, well, there there is there is a. Let me tell you, the states, whenever the people, uh, whenever the country was formed, the states had uh, laws uh, with the blacks, for example. There were laws that said that if you were one eighth black, uh, you were considered. A part of austerity. I think the show is over, dude. Yeah, it's closing music playing there. Music. Yeah, it's closing okay. music there. Yeah, thanks everybody. Uh -huh. Okay, thanks, Check Chris. Take care, yeah, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah. Um, yeah. This... I'm on. I'm on if everybody wants to continue chatting. Okay. Yeah. Um, you want to close up shop here? And, I'd like uh, to be able to get in touch with Tom if possible. If Tom would put his email down there, I sure would appreciate it. Or I could put mine down there. He could make it. But I'd like to have his email if I can get it. Oh, um, I'll give it to you right over there. <laughs> yeah, I'll. He put it in the chat there. Okay. 
I'll, I'll do that too. And you can um, send me an email whenever you want to. I don't check it every day necessarily, but I will uh, check it. Okay, I appreciate it, Tom. Thank you, sir. Mm-hmm. All right, and, everybody. Uh, thank you for uh, having me tonight, sir. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Um, yeah, thanks, uh, Paul, too, and uh, you, Tom, and uh, John Adams. Uh, who are we missing? Is that everybody? Oh, Ned, Ned and Tropic on the call as well. Uh, that was good. Roundtable discussion there. Uh, touching on some different issues. Uh, well, I try to do this at 8.30 Monday nights, uh, 8.30 Eastern Time. Uh, check out um, hoaxbusterscall.com. Uh, check out that interview I did earlier today. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's pretty good. Food for thought. All right, everybody. We'll have a, have a good evening and take care. Catch you next time. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.